Good morning. Thank you, worship team, for leading us so well this morning. Thank you, tech team, for all the work behind the scenes and getting us set up starting in the middle of the week to the final prep today. It is uh, good to have people you can trust and rely on. How many of you like trustworthy and reliable people in your lives? Yeah. Clap or raise your hand. We, we raised our hand. Now let's clap. It's all good. That's one of the trickiest things during this COVID season as everybody transitions to doing some online stuff is how do you get people engaged? So what I'm trying to do at different times is throw you off so you have to pay attention to what's going on. And um, it's hard to preach in church sometimes because I can't see what your faces are doing. I know it's really hard for you because you want to laugh at my jokes and it's hard to project that laughter through the mask. And so there's just challenges to doing church like this. But uh, we're winning and we're, we're going to make it through. Uh, how, how, who here has ever had the privilege of being inside a brand new vehicle? We'll do the hand raise this time. You've, you've had the privilege of being in a brand new vehicle. Is there anything quite like it? That smell? You know what I mean? The brand new car smell? The, the dash that has no dust on it? <laughs> the paint that is perfect, and if you're test driving it or looking at it, they've got it all buffed with a baby's diaper and looking all perfect. The tires are nice and black. For those of you who are family, family uh, van type people, if you step into a new vehicle, you notice a couple things. There's not crumbs everywhere. <laughs> the, mel- the, the cup holders smell like fresh rubber. Then um, I just lost sour milk. I worked on that line all morning. That, it, that the cup holders would smell like nice, fresh, new rubber rather than sour milk that spilt out of the toddler's sippy cup. There, I, I spilt it out of my mouth, the words I was trying to say. Those new vehicles, no matter if it's car or a truck, four-door or two-door, they are a beautiful, beautiful creation. And uh, if any of you have ever had the privilege, I haven't had the privilege of buying one, but you also know that those come with their own challenges. Like as soon as you drive it off the protection of their beautiful lot, they lose 25 or 35% of their value in the first 100 meters just because you drove it off their safe place. Those vehicles, they leave the safety of the lot and they head out in the real world. And in the real world, you know what happens, right? Somebody's dropped their two by four in the middle of the road and you have to dodge around it. Winter came and created a pothole where there wasn't a pothole a month or two ago. You hit it with your tire. It takes a beating just living in the world off the safety of where it was perfect, the car lot. And then that unthinkable thing happens where an accident takes place. Your fault, somebody else's fault, it doesn't matter because in the end, it's a total write-off where it's been a collision with something, whether it's the light post or the concrete standard or another vehicle, there's been an accident. And that takes this beautiful car that you were driving in its beautiful state to a position of twisted metal where the tow truck is the only one that can move that machine. At that point, it's called a write-off or a total loss vehicle. There's an insurance claim that happens if you remember to pay your insurance which we hope you have. And that vehicle has now gone from this beautiful new creation to a total uncreated piece. 
It has been destroyed. It's been twisted up. Its original purpose has now been lost because you can't even drive it. This creation was given to you to enjoy the wide open roads and wide open spaces of Idlewild Drive in Saskatoon. <laughs> and now it is good for nothing. It's good for the trash heap. Maybe you can part it out and sell a few parts that didn't get totally damaged. Maybe it becomes metal recycling. But it's now uncreated. It's no longer serving the purpose it was created for. Until there's a handful of people in this world that have this mastercraft ability. And they're able to see a twisted piece of metal that would intimidate all of us because we don't know how much it damaged. My headlight is broken. Does that mean that the back taillight won't work anymore? Those kind of thoughts. We just don't know how to fix it right. And that person comes along and they see the potential in the uncreation. They see the messed up state, but when they look at the messed up state, they see what's possible at the end of the resurrection of that twisted vehicle. And somebody comes along and they say, that's perfect, I can work with that. And they take this twisted metal and they take it to their, their shop or their yard. They, they, first of all, they paid for that damaged vehicle, key point, they've had to pay for it, make it theirs, and then they take it into their care and that person gets new parts and they fix it up and they uh, get everything straightened up and they paint it and it's basically as good as new. They get the certifications and inspections that are needed for it to be all insured up and good for the road. And now it is no longer a total loss vehicle. What is it? A previous total loss vehicle. It is a previous total loss vehicle. It has been recreated. The only way you know, actually, for the majority of us, again, there's always somebody who can see something I can't, but the only way you would really know driving down the street in your neighborhood, wherever you are today, wherever your, your home is, if you're watching online, is if you stopped every car, opened the driver's door and looked inside, and is there a yellow sticker there that says it was inspected and reinsurable? That's the only way you know. You can't tell from the outside. It's been recreated. The thing about, I, I've, uh, and, and I would say that they are as good as new because I've owned a number of vehicles in my lifetime. Not all because I've had to recycle them because of accidents. Just want to clarify that. But I would say half of the vehicles I've owned in my life have been previous total loss vehicles. The journey of might, mankind might be compared to such an illustration as I just shared with you. That we have been created by God. And that Adam and Eve were the, the first man and woman. And they were created perfect. So perfect that they got to enjoy creation. Enjoy relationship with God. They were so perfect that God created them with a free will. So that they could choose to be in that relationship. It was like perfect. It wasn't like marriage at the place now where our rings tie us together. My wife stuck with me. Those relationships at the beginning, they were all choosing each other. And loving on each other. We took ourselves and our free will and we sinned against God thinking that we knew best. And sin took us, spun us into the ditch of sinfulness and brokenness. And we had our accident. And we went from being created as these perfect beings in the image of God for relationship with God. And we became uncreated, twisted messes. And it all started by a simple act of disobedience, eating a piece of fruit. And you say, well, that doesn't seem so big. 
Well, now that hundreds and thousands of years have gone by and we have got really good at disobeying God, just look at the layer and layer of what sin and brokenness have done. It has been compounded and compounded where it's gone from disobeying God to by eating a piece of fruit, trying to prove that man knew better or they could be like God, knowing right from wrong. And instead now, there's abuse and there's greed and there's sin and there's murder. And it took a fast track to all the horrible things that we say today, see today. God came along and he said, I can work with that. I see potential in that mess of humanity. And he provided a way for us to be recreated. He sent Jesus to come and to show us the way and to live a perfect life and to pay the penalty for our sin. And like that man or woman who recreate the car, they have to purchase it from the insurance agency. Jesus Christ purchased us from the power of sin and death. And he purchased us into his possession. But unlike a car, we actually have a choice. The car has to go where it's towed. We can know that God has paid the price. We have to choose to put our faith in him. We have to choose to put ourselves in his hand to trust him. But if we do, he begins his work in us. And he begins recreating us, redeeming us for the purpose that we were first created for. And folks, little side note or little, little bit of information, you weren't actually created to be the best in your vocation. You weren't actually created to have a large bank account. You weren't actually created to live in poverty. You weren't actually created to just work for God or work for your boss or work for your family or please your parents. You were actually created for relationship with God. And we take this life as followers of Jesus and we settle it out and think, Jesus just needs to bless me so I can have a nice life here on earth. That's kind of like saying to the car, God just, the, the owner of this car just needs to give me, give me flippers because I'm meant to swim. A car is not meant for water. We are not, this world is not our home. We are meant to come infiltrate it with the love of Jesus Christ. But if we think Jesus and God are just coming to give us a nice life on this earth, we have missed the boat, if I may mix my metaphors or vehicles of transportation. We are not created for this world. We're created for relationship with him and each other, which is why we're talking about loving well, because if we think our life is worth or about or purposed for anything more than loving radically and in ways that we're willing to die for each other for the purposes of God, if we don't have something that radical to live for, we're just burning our killing time playing with... Uh, uh, whether you're an adult or a kid or whatever, you, you're just burning up your time. Reading books, entertainment, vacations, retirement plans, retirements, this, that, the other thing. All important stuff. Don't hear me say that, oh, he says we shouldn't worry about any of that stuff. It's all secondary and third dairy and fourth dairy. <laughs> it's all after the importance of making sure we are, have our purposes in order. <clears throat> We come into God's care, and he begins his work of recreating us. For the one who follows Christ, the journey is not one of figuring out how to live life on this earth. Our journey is to be made recreations. We are to be recreated, or the scripture would use the phrase as we're talking about, new creations. 
Recreation is to go from a broken state to a whole state. It's to go from brokenness to wholeness. Recreation is to be and become new creations in Jesus. We are on a journey. We were created perfectly for relationship. We have been uncreated and undone by sin. And we're born with a sin nature and the effects of centuries of sin in our world. And now we can be, as this message is entailed, recreated by love. We can be recreated by love through God with Jesus. So what does that take? Today, we're briefly going to look at the life of Paul, a little bit of his journey or experience with Jesus, and see what that experience was like, and then see about applying that as to what we might expect in our experience in following Jesus. Thank you to Dwayne and Leah for their great work in kicking off this Loving Well nine-month series and this mini-series created for love. You saw the picture before I stepped up. Uh, that picture in a nutshell is what we're trying to do. It's, it's that well with the, the pail and the water. And that deep well of God, that deep love of God is like a well and it's the source of our love. The source for love is not something we can, uh, no pun intended, well up inside us or make happen on our own. It needs to be filled from the source and that's God. God provides the pump. Jesus is the way. He's the mechanism to get the love to us. We don't even have to go finding him. He says the, he's coming to win the lost. He's seeking and saving the lost. So he provides the way in Jesus. We are the bucket. We are the recipient of that, that uh, love, but we have to be close to Jesus. That pail has to be hanging on that pump in order for it to fill. We have to be in relationship with Jesus. And then the goal is to love well. And like uh, Alicia made that lovely graphic picture for us, the water spilling over. And when we're filled with love, then there's love that can now go other places. That love can spill over and return to the source from where it came. Because God loves us, it says, because he first loved us, we love him. So our love goes back to God. It goes to others. And we even instead of despising ourselves, living in shame and guilt, in pain, we can be healed. We can love ourselves. The water spills out to God, to the area around it affects, and it affects us. Would you bow your heads? I just want to pray a moment as we look at Paul. And so Jesus, thank you that you created us for relationship. We acknowledge what has happened through the uncreation process of sin and uh, we thank you that you haven't cast us to the, the side, but you want to recreate us. And so today I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would come on me like a coat and, and I could be under your anointing, your, your authority, God, that your words would be in my mouth to speak truth and clarity today. In Jesus' name, everybody said loudly. Acts chapter 9 is where we first get a, a real big glimpse of the, what would become, who would become the Apostle Paul. We hear a little bit about uh, Saul, who is the name of Paul before he became Paul. The Apostle Paul wrote a good portion of the New Testament in the Bible. He might be one of the most talked about figures in the Bible outside of God himself, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
but he had quite a start. We see him in Acts actually opposing the followers of Jesus. He was persecuting Christians in Jerusalem. The followers of Jesus were seen as a threat to all those who wanted to honor and follow God by keeping the Judaic, the, by living in Judaism and following the Mosaic law. So Saul was persecuting Christians and followers of this way, followers of the Messiah, believing that he was doing God a favor. Paul, Saul actually thought he was doing the right stuff. Anybody ever here thought they were doing the right stuff only to find out that they were doing the wrong stuff? Maybe that's enough of a sermon today. Saul actually thought he was doing what he was supposed to do. However, he had missed it. They had missed it in that Jesus had fulfilled the law and there was a new law in town, the law of love, that that was going to be what we were to follow because it fulfilled everything else. So Saul was furious in what was going on and that people were being turned away from following the, the Mosaic law and Judaism. And so he asked for letters from the high priest to carry on his cleansing work outside the city of Jerusalem in other places. And so the high priest was only too pleased to give him letters, it would seem. And so Saul went out heading to Damascus to gather up, imprison, and punish people who were choosing to and claiming to follow Jesus. And apparently, Christians could could hide and stay safe. But really, when, when you've met Jesus and you're following him passionately, it's pretty hard to keep it a secret. Saul apparently was able to track some people down. And so, at the beginning of chapter 9, it says this, his descript, this is, the description was, Saul was breathing out murderous threats. Everybody say murderous threats. Murder. How many of you have been so, don't look, nah, don't raise your hand. <laughs> at home, don't raise your hand. Think about this. How many of you have ever been so mad and angry, you could be accused of walking through the streets or walking down the road breathing murderous threats. Maybe today's phrase for that is road rage. Maybe that's murderous threats. Maybe saluting people that they're number one with the wrong finger is a murderous threat. And so Saul was doing it from the purpose of not being cut off on the road, but he was doing it because he thought he was doing God a favor. And so in verse 3, it says, As he, Saul, neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Just want to pause there for a second. Saul thought he was doing God's work. God speaks to him, Saul, Saul. And Saul says, who are you? We can be doing God's work and not know God. That's part of what Leah was talking about yesterday. And I'm not saying that we all need to have a Damascus Road experience and God call our name and get our attention. But he is speaking. He is calling to us. He is getting our attention. We do not want to miss what he is saying or doing. Saul somehow was busy for God and missing everything that God was about. 
The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Saul got to meet Jesus like no one else. It's such a popular thing, a well-known fact, that you can actually go out into the world and say it was like a Damascus Road experience, and there'll be people who don't follow Jesus who know what that statement kind of means, that there's this transformation, this huge thing going on. It was life-changing. Saul, in that moment and over the course of the next days, when, when he was blind, God got his attention. He became a believer. His, he got a name change eventually that went from Saul to Paul. Just to give you a picture of how drastic this was, God spoke to somebody who knew who God was. Ananias was his name in the verses following. And God t- told him to go pray for this Saul. Gives him his street address and says, go. And so Ananias, because he's so in touch with God, said, No. Maybe he didn't say no, but he definitely asked the question. Whoa, I've heard of that guy. He's up to no good. Making trouble in your neighborhood. (laughs) You fresh Prince Bel-Airs from the 1990s. He was making trouble in the whole Christian neighborhood. He was there to get trouble, and Ananias was not interested in running into that situation but God said no I've called him he actually says in one of the verses Saul needs to know how much he's going to suffer for my name's sake if you think you are getting to follow Jesus only because it's the closest thing to Disneyland in Saskatchewan consider that scripture for a little bit Saul was going to have to consider what he was going to have to suffer for the sake of Jesus, and when Saul got to the end of his life, he wouldn't have traded it for the world. He wanted to love and follow God. That's the kind of transformation that took place. And so this prayer happens, scales fall off Saul's eyes so that he can see. And in verse 20, it says, At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And in the period of time that ever takes place in the next five verses... Saul went from persecuting Christians to meeting Jesus to being healed to preaching about Jesus to where um, within a couple verses in what? Yeah, verse 23, it says, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. Saul, in a matter of a few days, went from being the killer to being hunted, to being looked for himself. Paul was created by God as we all are. He was living in his uncreation. I don't know what Paul would be like face-to-face pre-conversion, but I, I think you have to be some kind of special dude when you are standing there watching Stephen, a humble follower of Jesus, say that he is committed to Jesus. People stone him at da- and die The people throw cloaks at Saul's feet to get his approval, and Saul is basically given the thumbs up. Good work, guys. Another one done. That has to do something to your heart. Has to be hard. Has to be arrogant. God got his attention, though, and became a new creation. Later on, Paul wrote to the Corinthians believers in chapter 5, 
Verse 14, he says, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, Jesus died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who might live no longer live for themselves, but for him who their sake died and was raised. Paul could definitely, Saul could definitely say that. Paul could definitely say that. He totally gave and lived his life for Jesus. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. He is a new creation. The old has passed. Behold, the new has come. Just as a little aside on that verse 16. Therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. I don't want to take it out of context, but if you and I in, in COVID times and heightened political times and, and stressful times view people according to the flesh, it would not seem to me according to that scripture that we are viewing people through the right framework. That we are supposed to be viewing people not according to the flesh, not according to their opinions, not according to the way they live their life, but we are to view them as, as uh, Dwayne uh, emphasized a few weeks ago, as image bearers that people are in the image of God and that their particular opinion on a particular thing probably isn't going to be what uh, determines their, their life or their eternity except the one thing of who is God to them? Who is Jesus to them? And so that's where our priority needs to lie. So we have become new creations when we have accepted Christ but what I really want to tell you and set up for the next number of, of messages is the fact that we are becoming new creations. We are both saved and we are being saved. We are already saved. We are being saved. Boston Beitler was my son when he was born, and he is becoming my son as he learns how to live as an adult and follower of Jesus. We, we are both are and becoming at the same time. But the problem with us and the problem in the world, the Christian world that I've grown up in, is that we, we kind of hide in the background the becoming piece. We want to capitalize on the born-again piece, the saved piece, the I'm a new creation piece, but we forget that we are in a transform, transformation period and season of our life till we get to heaven. And so if we don't understand that there is a becoming transformation that needs to take place in our life, we actually think we got it all when we prayed and asked Jesus to forgive us. Now, that's a conundrum because we did get it all. We got Jesus. There's nothing more to get once you've got Jesus. But he's not done with us. He wants to work it out in us. And I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes a little thick in the head. I don't get it quick enough. I'm not fast enough. There's too much stuff to fix. I go into overload. I'm like the, the circuit, the robot that has circuit malfunction, and all of a sudden I'm starting to fry and smoke if I try to get it all right at once. I don't think I've ever done this move before in church. I hope you enjoyed it. You might never see it again. We are complex beings social, mental, physical, spiritual, and emotional. And when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, our spirit is reborn, and we are made new, and we are brought into relationship with Jesus Christ. But that spirit is in this old, tired body with its old, tired patterns, with its old, tired perceptions and opinions and emotions, and has been affected by so many things that has gone on in its past. 
So much so that what I think is coming in the future, I'm already thinking about is happening the way it happened in the past. That's the filter we look through. The past informs the current. But we like to say, no, I'm a new creation. That old stuff doesn't affect me. That's kind of like saying you could have uh, that redone car, that recreated car without having the old car. No, you have a recreation because you had a previous creation. We bring ourselves with us to the show. Jesus has something to work with. But he doesn't work with us as just, oh, boom, it's like he's born from day one again. No, he's working with my stuff. He's working with the way I treated my parents. He's working with the way I treat my children. He's working with my way that I view the world, view the environment, view, the, view my bosses at the Rock Church. That's the kind of stuff he has to work with. And if we don't acknowledge that he has to work with that kind of stuff, then we aren't going to give him that kind of stuff that is actually in our lives to be transformed. If we aren't transformed, you are new crea newly created uncreation. You don't get to experience the benefits of being newly created because you're taking your salvation around in the old beat-up clunker. If you actually want to enjoy what Jesus has purchased for you and the relationship that is present for you, you have to give him access to what your spirit travels around in. The mental, the physical, the emotional, and whatever other one I missed. The social, pardon me, our relationships. He is putting us in re right relationship. We need to learn to love well because loving well affects those areas, our social, our mental, our physical and our emotional, as well as our spiritual. Your experiences, your personalities, your patterns, that they affect who you are. There's the, the, the discussion about, are we more affected by our nature or by nurture? Is it in our genetics? Is it our DNA who we are? Or is it in our environment that we grew up in? Well, if you want to know my, who I am, I'm a sinner by nature, nurtured by sinners. You know what that gets. Same thing as you. Messed up. And God bless my parents. That's not me throwing my parents under the bus. That's about my teachers and the world and the government and, the, and this environment that I've grown up in. I'm nurtured by the surroundings and the surroundings is full of brokenness and those who are sinners like me. Jesus wants to disciple us. So Paul, reflecting back on him for a second, had to be discipled. He was a new creation when he made his decision to follow Jesus. But let us not minimize what had to take place in Paul's life. We like to talk about Paul and the letters and the amazing wisdom he gave. He had to sit in prison with himself after watching Stephen get murdered. That ingrains in your brain. In Acts chapter 15... Paul and Barnabas, the scriptures say, had a, a sharp dispute or a sharp disagreement, so much that that powerful ministry pair went sideways. They each grabbed a new person, Barnabas and Silas, and they went their own directions. No one's ever told me that Paul had an anger issue. What, what do you mean, Paul and didn't? Uh, he's, he's a saint, by goodness. He's an apostle. Yeah. He was in discipleship process for the rest of his life. 
He had to deal. That nature that he brought to the game, I think it made him do a lot of stuff that a lot of us could never do. But it didn't change the fact that that rawness had to be discipled and nurtured to become into the image of Jesus. And later on in the scriptures, we see that, um, that Paul calls for Mark, that there's a, a reference to a relationship there so that we see there is, we can assume that there was a restoration of those relationships. One author says this, Christians must realize that accepting Christ is only a first step in the Christian life. Like Paul, acceptance of Jesus Christ must also be evidenced in a desire to live a life that reflects Christ. We Christians frequently fall short of this ideal, especially in today's world. Politics, cultural divisions, religious differences, and the general rancor of popular culture promotes anything but a genuinely Christian approach to life. You want to live in this world? You're living in a world that is opposite to the Christian life, and we all have to live in the world. Rather than living lives of spiritual blessing and sacred service in Christ's name, many languish as Saul did. We crave control, power, dominance, material gain over service, sacrifice, and love. The old nature wants to claw back on this physical being, on our flesh. We want punitive judgment to take the place of grace. We disdain people's differences instead of offering love of faithful service. Folks, we are on a discipleship journey, and if there's one of a couple things I hope to impress on you today, it's to get away with the myth that the new creation of our lives is done simply when we encounter Jesus, but that there's a process to it. And we pray for miracles, and if you got issues in your life, like I got issues, we got to pray for them, we got to keep inviting Jesus into them, but it's not just about, well, I'm a new creation, so now I don't have to do any work. We got work to do. We got to put our hands in Jesus ourselves in Jesus' hands for all these different areas of our lives. You see, I was a good boy. At least I was accused of being a good boy. Grew up in a Christian home. Didn't party or drink or swear or go with girls with do. I've actually sworn more as a preacher than as a teenager, just for the confession. Again, sorry, Mom and Dad. But I... I wanted to love God. I wanted to do what he said. I wanted to be my wife's hero, my, my children's hero. I wanted to do it right. And prior to the journey of what my wife and I have been on for the last 10 years, there was a time about 12 or 13 years ago, my wife and I are sitting in a car about to drive to Whitewood. Our children are in the car and I'm on the phone with my mom. My wife and my mom are trying to encourage me about something that I can't remember, but it was something about taking care of myself and doing something differently that was more healthy for me. And I was crying on the phone and I was yelling. And I said, when will it ever be good enough? I don't drink. I go to work. I go home. I take care of my family. What else does everybody else want from me? It's still not enough. Remember, I'm pastoring at this time, leading kids to Jesus, working with volunteers. And those who are closest to me are recognizing what's missing in my life. I'm harsh and short with my wife not present with that when I'm with my children, not being what God had created me to be. And so I had to 
do this journey of the last 10 years where God was recreating my heart to actually be able to love well, to love myself, to not just worry about getting the performance right on the outside so everybody, everything is good, but that that performance or the behavior on the outside actually flows from a transformed heart, not just transformed behavior. If you're following Jesus, it's not actually signing up to continual behavior management. It's actually signing up to receiving and enjoying his love so that you're transformed from the inside out. So folks, we are on a journey over the next lifetime of brokenness to wholeness, to go from blame to taking responsibility, anger to delight, fear to courage, performance to authenticity, dishonesty to honesty, but we can't minimize the work that is necessary. The Bible calls it shalom. I think Dwayne talked about that a few weeks ago. That wholeness, that all areas of our life are brought together to be intertwined and interwoven and lived out in authenticity before God. And we can't make that happen ourselves. We have to be downloaded with the love of Jesus. We want to be new creations, but in order to live as new creations, we have to be deeply transformed within ourselves and then we can live differently on the outside. And so God wants to heal us. Leah said last week that we were told, as Pete also writes in his book, Pete Scazzaro and Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, that we were emotionally healthy and, pardon me, we were emotionally unhealthy. My wife's shaking, no, I tell you, you were not healthy. (laughs) That we were emotionally unhealthy and spiritually mature. We were emotionally immature and spiritually mature. Well, the truth is, not that she wasn't telling the truth, but I don't think now after this journey, you can, and I'm not claiming that I'm spiritually mature, but you can't have a premise to say you're spiritually mature just because you go to church, give some money, serve, and uh, don't do the things that you think are bad. That doesn't make spiritual maturity. Being good does not keep you from being bad. It keeps you guarded, keeps you pretending, keeps you plastic. We actually need much more than that. We need, in order to be able to claim that we're spiritually mature, we actually have to grow in our ability to love well. And why do we keep picking on that over the next number of months? Because Jesus said to. I'm just doing what Jesus told me to do. He told us to go make disciples, and he said disciples love God with all their soul, mind, and strength, and that they love their neighbor as they love themselves. That's what we're supposed to do. And so you are not emotionally mature if you don't know how to love well. And loving well looks like able to handle conflict. It's able to handle loss and grieving. It's able to step into uncomfortable situations so other people can be comfortable. It's using your gifts to serve others. Emotional health is not just what you feel when things are going well. Emotional health and being able to love well is what you're able to tap into by loving Jesus so that in the difficult times and in those difficult emotions and places in life, you can continue to follow Jesus and be experiencing what he wants you to be for yourself and those around you. So I want to wrap up. In the next two or two minutes, the worship team can come. Everybody say, feel... Appeal, Appeal. deal, Deal. and heal. heal. 
These are going to be some words that may get talked about at your life groups this week, and I'm just going to throw them out there for discussion. But the flow of God's love into our lives is what cleanses us, cleans us out, and heals us. And so, well, how do I do that? This isn't a formula. It's not one, two, three, four. You can be at different places at different times. It's, it's meant to be messy. But I would say that these four words can help you have rails to run on in starting to acknowledge some of the stuff in your life. So first, to feel. To feel means you have to acknowledge that the emotions and what you are wrestling with in a given moment are worth considering. And that they are the gauge on your dashboard. They're telling you if you're, you're angry, if you're mad. They're telling you if you're sad. And you're acknowledging that your job is not to avoid them and get to somewhere else, but to go through them. And that Jesus is offering them to you. He's created them to you as a gift, as part of the radar in your life, as to know what you need to deal with. So I can feel a certain way when my wife kisses me. I can also feel a certain way when my wife reminds me I didn't take out the garbage. Those feelings can indicate, they might just be glancing things, nothing to deal with. But if, if I'm having that feeling of not doing what she asked for the 10th time in a row in 10th days, it might be indicating a discipleship issue, like learning how to love well. That's a pretty simple little example. So you got to feel. Then we appeal. We're not trying to recreate ourselves. The best prayer, I, I was at a pastor's uh, retreat a year or so ago and pastor hart from manitoba was there and he was asked he was standing in the back and he was asked pray your best prayer over lunch and he yelled back within a second help me god that is what the appeal is god i can't do this myself help me i'm angry at leah again because she's angry at me my boss came in to keep me accountable on my job, and it feels like he's just breathing down my neck. My neighbor blew his lawn clippings and let his leaves blow onto my lawn. There's some of you in this that have that, that issue right now. You have trees in the wrong spot. Or the trees are in the right spot and the leaves are in the wrong spot. Our goal is to invite Jesus into it. Not go it on your own. The appeal is, help me, Jesus. I invite you into the middle of this stuff. Start to work in my life. So it's an acknowledgement to open the door to have him work in us. Feel, we acknowledge we can feel it and that there might be something to it. If there's nothing to it, it's okay. Doesn't hurt to ask the question. I wonder what's going on. Oh, Holy Spirit, you've shown me there's something. Jesus, help me. The third one is to deal. We actually have to deal with it. We could just go into our prayer closet and pray about it. And maybe there's a few issues that it's just about praying it away. But actually, there might be more like apologizing it away. Jesus, forgive me for how I've neglected my wife. Jesus, forgive me for taking my boss and a job for granted. Jesus, when my first boss at my first job yelled at me because I did it wrong, I just, every time I get called into the boss's office, I'm shaking with fear. I acknowledge that to you. I ask you to heal my heart. There are things in our life that Jesus wants to step into because he's, we're bringing our whole self with us after we've been forgiven that he wants to heal in our life. So there's homework to do. Sometimes there's reading to do. If you're like Leah and I, sometimes there's counseling or therapy to go through to have someone help pull off the blinders so you know what you need to deal with with Jesus. There's work to be done. And then the fourth one is heal. I will rest and wait, that I will do what I need to do, 
and I will be diligent to the process, but I acknowledge that Jesus has to heal me, and his water needs to wash over me and flood me, and that he will heal me. And so I can't make him go any faster than he chooses to go. I can just be as willing as fast as I can. And I will trust that he will heal me. And if he exposes something else in my life, I will be faithful to deal with that. This song is really going to minister to your heart as the, as the team leads you in worship. And then Pastor Dwayne is coming to close. And I encourage you that you invite Jesus into this stuff and you acknowledge that you are not finished work. You know that, but sometimes in our christian stuff, we feel, no, I'm all good. I'm victorious. I'm all that. All we are all that on is on a journey. And so keep bringing it to Jesus. Love you guys.